this was um, a couple people have told me this. People that deal like in um, like that high spiritual stuff in like um, in astrology, that twenty seven is a major transfer time in a person's life. Like you're leaving like your youth behind and you're making a significant shift. And some people don't want to go past that number. Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hey, everyone, BT, and welcome to the Successful Mind Podcast. I got David here with me. Yo. Today, we are going to talk about something very different from what we usually do, and I hope you like it. So, today marks the 66th anniversary of the death of James Dean. Now, for those of you old enough to remember James Dean, good for you. Thanks for finding us here on YouTube. For those of you who have no clue what we're talking about, he was the teen heartthrob known for his starring role in the movie Rebel Without a Cause. Unfortunately, he died when he was only 24 years old. So it got me thinking a little bit, David, about others in the entertainment industry and in the celebrity industry that were gone way too soon. So when you think of celebrities who have gone too early, who in your mind comes to mind? Well, I mean, like the, at least from my generation, the big ones would have been like Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jim Morrison, uh, Kurt Cobain, but was a few years after that, I guess. But there were a lot of people that died around that age. And you know what's interesting about that is I remember when, before I was 27, it would, there was a lot of mystery talk around that age, you know, how sure. many people die at 27. And I was like, am I going to get past 27? You know, that, that thing. It's a number that, in your yeah. head. Absolutely. So obviously I didn't die at 27, but I had a significant change in my life at 27. Um, and I remember that later on, way later on, like, I guess about 30 years, maybe? No, not 30 years, about 20 years after that. I got, I, t I had talked to several people about um, the significance of that. And I had a reading, um, oh, what was the name? What was the name? Uh, Shatan gave me a oh, reading. Oh, sure. Yeah. What, what's the name of his, his book? Uh, human, no. Yeah, Human Design. Human Design, human design, human design yeah. yeah. Um, and he said to me when, when he did that, and this is going back like 2008 or something, 2009, he said, you had a very significant event at 27, didn't you? And I did, like everything changed for me at 27, right? I went from just basically leaving my old self behind and that's when I started studying. That is so interesting. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a very clear break right yeah. there, very clear. So when, when we talk about that in relation to, you know, like the 27 Club, like you just mentioned, the, the celebrities, you know, a lot of them dealt with drugs and alcohol and things like that, living hard. They sort of hit that point where they were like, you know what, spiritually, I'm just going to maybe check out. Whereas you chose to sort of move it forward and saying, yeah. I'm going to make it past this. But it was in your mind, with, which I think is so fascinating, because a lot of people, you know, they look at when they're turning 40 or when they're turning 50 and those, these other things. It was in your awareness at 27 when you went back and looked and said, oh, man, I made a significant change in this yeah, part yeah, of yeah. my life. That is a fascinating way yeah. well, to look I mean, at things. Shatan pointed it out to me, um, like significantly. I, I hadn't really thought about it, but he pointed it out. And then not only him, but I've had several spiritual teachers and actually a couple of um, people with, you know, like ma major degrees in psychology and stuff say that there is this thing about that age that a lot of people that are genius in what they do, they pull it all out before that age and then they go because it's almost like after that age, you start to go into a more maturing process as an adult, right? And 
you leave this you leave this younger thing behind and they come in they do their work and they're gone that's it man i'm trying to think of what i was doing when i was 27 i mean i know i was still in the classroom i was teaching um I had a small child, I guess. So I'm thinking, like, where did my number come into play? I don't yeah. think it was maybe 27, but there's probably some. I'm going to have to go back and fact check it. There's some date in yeah. my mind where I hit that year where it was like, this is a life-changing moment, a cir- circumstance that's going to take me in this direction. Right, right. So that's interesting. I've never had a numerology reading before or anything done like that. If you, if you get somebody that's really good, I've got a friend in Australia that is like, I didn't even really believe in numerology. And he, he was in a seminar that I did back in our, back around 2002 or three. And I didn't even know who he was. And he introduced himself to me and he said, told me what he did. And he said, can I give you a reading? And I was like, yeah. So he's like, I'll look, give me this. He had to take some information from me. Right. And cause he relates sure, it all to sure. numbers. And he came back and told me all this stuff about myself not in general, very specific. And I was like floored, you know? So then I had all the kids done, my four kids. And he never met my kids, right? There was no social media at the time that could, couldn't look them up. And he nailed every single one wow. of them, everyone to a T. And it was just, um, I was like, that's really cool. So I, I do know, and I've also had some bad readings. Like yeah, sure. Like, yeah, they're not all. Like, I don't know what you're reading. Picture perfect. But it ain't me, right? Yeah. If you get somebody that's really good, I, I believe in it to a certain degree, that they can pick up on whatever your print is in life and really give you some idea about your level of consciousness and kind of like where you need to go from here. It's, it, it's, it, I think they're pretty good. As long as you don't put all of your stake in that this is the only thing that you are, right? Because sure. I, don't, I don't do not believe that. Yeah, that's I dangerous. Don't that. I don't I believe mean, it with... I don't believe it with human design. I don't believe it with, you know, astrology. I don't believe it with numerology or all, any of the other stuff. And the reason I don't is because we have conscious choice. We can choose to do something different in regards to what we know about ourselves. Yeah, they can wield a very interesting power in that they play on confirmation bias of sorts. So you are told that this is who you are, and then you immediately try to put yourself into that box, even though you might not completely 100% resonate with it because someone said that you paid to have this reading done, that that's who yeah, you're going to be. Yeah. And you, like you said, con- you know, conscious choice comes into play there too. So, yeah. Well, if you think about it, most people that go get those things done they're really not solid in who they are to begin right, with. They're seeking. You know, they're seeking, yeah. right? Um, they don't really know who they are. And if you have somebody that says to you with confidence and some of the things they actually get right, we put the rest of it together in our mind. It's like, you know, we, we want to believe in it. Right. And then we take on this persona and it's like somebody suggested that to you. That's not yeah. really who you are. It's interesting. It reminds me of the ASFAB test I had to take when I was in <laughs> high school, like to determine where I was going to go in life. And it totally, I don't even remember what it said, but it didn't tell me First of all, that I was going to be on a podcast because podcasts didn't exist. Second of all, it didn't t- say anything about a teacher or anything like that. I think it was sort of like a, if I'm not mistaken, like a military test yeah, to see what you're, yeah, test. to see where you went. I don't know why we took it in high school. I don't know what it was all about, but it did say like, this is what you're best suited for. Your personality is this. And I remember thinking that is not me. So I guess I went the completely other direction, but fascinating stuff. I did not take the advice of the ASFAB. So, <laughs> all right. So here's a list I came across of entertainers who died in their 20s. And 30s. I'm just going to rattle off this list. And please keep in mind, this is not an extensive list. There are far more people that left way too soon, but this is what I came up with. So at the top of the show, I mentioned James Dean, age 24, car accident. Uh, Brian Jones, founding member of the Rolling Stones, pool accident, age of 
27, which we'll talk about with the 27 Club here shortly. Uh, Sharon Tate, who we all know was murdered by the Manson family at age 26. Uh, you already said Joplin, Hendricks, and Morrison. Interestingly enough, 1970, 1971, a lot of this. Dwayne Allman was another individual, yeah, yeah. Allman, age 24, yeah. motorcycle accident. Uh, Keith Moon, age 32, overdose, 1979. Sid Vicious, age 21. 1979 as well. Uh, John Belushi, age 33. Brandon Lee, age 28. That was Bruce Lee's son. Kurt Cobain, age 27 again. Self-inflicted gunshot wound in 94. Uh, Selena, age 23. Tupac, 25. Notorious B.I.G., 24. Chris Farley, age age 33. Heath Ledger, age 28. Amy Winehouse, age 27. I could go on and on and on. Of those on the list that I just mentioned, are there any that you specifically remember um, and what the mood was surrounding that loss? Well, I remember Kurt, Kurt Cobain, but he was like a generation younger than me. Sure. So I was a fan, but not like a, an emotional fan, right? So my kids liked him. Right. So you hear all this noise about him that, you know, did his wife kill him or did he do it himself, that, that kind of stuff. Belushi, I think, was the big one. Be- sure. Belushi and um, uh, the other one, John, not John, John Candy, is that who? Uh, Chris Farley. Chris Farley. Chris yeah. Farley. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Those yeah. were... Those were People really love those two guys. It's so interesting, the parallels between Belushi and Farley as well, both age 33, you know, both overdoses, uh, larger than life. Here is the one commonality with all those people. They're they're all alcohol and drug abusers. Yeah, exactly. I go down the list, heroin, overdose. I don't know about Dean, though, because he died in a car accident. Yeah, car accident. Yeah, he died in a head-on car accident in 1955. I did a little reading on that. Dwayne Allman, motorcycle accident. Um but we don't know, like, the what if he was a heavy drinker, you Marilyn know, all those Monroe. sort of things. Mar- Marilyn Monroe, yeah. There were some people that I didn't mention in here just because, you know, yeah. they weren't maybe in their 20s or 30s when it happened. But, um, yeah, just so fascinating. And the ones that jump out to me, uh, I remember when Kurt Cobain, when that happened. I wasn't a huge Nirvana fan, but I do remember I was in, in college at the time, and that really was at the time when grunge was really taken off, you know, Pearl Jam and all those other bands coming out of Seattle. And I remember just the feeling of sadness. I think there was even like candlelight vigils on the campus with tons of people yeah. just mourning the loss of this individual. Um, and then I remember being out with my friends when Tupac died and I did not, I was not a huge Tupac fan, but I knew about this East coast, West coast riff that was going on and thinking, Oh my God, this is very, very interesting and in how it affected people. I remember I was dating a girl at the time who broke down in tears. So it got me also thinking about, you know, we don't know these people, but in some weird way we do. So what is that all about? What does that say about us? Is it because we are just so infatuated with their careers that when they die, it's almost as if we lost someone who was close to us? Yeah, so, so, the, so number, the biggest one, so there's two. There's sure. two. I, I, I don't know if you put Elvis in there because he was 45. Did not, yeah, right. right. So he was a little bit older. That's another but one. But it's still a drug issue, right? Yeah, totally. John Lennon, 1980. Yeah, right. That was, that was the, like, that was the biggest. That, yeah, of all sure, of that sure. Was, that was the biggest. However... Almost all of them are musicians. Yeah, right? a lot of these are. Yeah. So, I mean, music is such a, a central tenant to teenagers in their life. It's like the... You just connect with the, it. The soundtrack. You yeah. have your music. You have the bands that you like. It's part of you growing up, maturing. It's part of um, something to hang on to, something to self-identify with, right? Sure. And then when if you're in love with this band or a couple of them, like, and they die, it's devastating. I mean, you, you're developing an intimate relationship 
with that band, with that with that music. And when they when they die, it's devastating for a lot of kids. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, being a person like when Chris Farley passed away, I know I was a huge Saturday Night Live fan, and I just couldn't believe it. I mean, even though I was well into my adult life and I hadn't probably watched Saturday Night Live since he left years before, I just remember thinking to myself, like, they can go at any time. Yeah. And like I said, this list is not exhaustive. There's so many other people that have gone way too soon, and you start to think a little bit of me connects with sort of my own own mortality of sorts as well. Like it can happen at any single time. One of the things that you turned me on to over the course of this past summer was uh, the work of the Daily Stoic and Ryan Holiday. And, you know, that whole memento mori idea that you can go at any time. Uh, Nothing is promised, nothing is given. You could go tomorrow. So you really have to live for today. And it makes sense sort of in my head, but it's connecting with it in my heart. I feel like I'm going to be here tomorrow and the next day. And you just don't know. And I have a feeling, even though these people, you know, were really living life to their fullest and living hard, they probably didn't. I mean, some of them did check out on their own accord, but some of these are just accidental overdoses or they were just shot down in cold blood by other people. So forget the shot down ones, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, all the ones that your car accident, or overdose, that, that type of thing. The, you have to really consider something here. Most of these people that are young, their brains are not fully developed yet, right? Mm-hmm. So especially men. Yeah. You know, it takes a little bit longer sure. for men into their 20s, right? We know women too, but either further with men. That part is the judgment part. It's the part of their mind that makes decisions, critical thinking. And I mean, do you remember when you were at that age? You oh did. God. You were more wild than you are to- now. Totally. Right? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I was, I was crazy. <laughs> I was crazy at that age. I'd like, do anything. You know, anything. It's true. You were bulletproof. And I think that if you get drugs and alcohol into a person that is not, does not know how to think, does not know how to run their own life, especially if you then mix that with celebrity, right? These, none of these people have worked on their issues from childhood right. or anything, right? You, it's a, it is seriously... Um, it's just a death waiting to happen for most of them. And many of them, you know, like you said, grew up in difficult environments. They had a lot of patterns, probably a lot of shame they were dealing with. Every one of those people do. Yeah, and you're dealing with someone who went from nothing to all of a sudden having a limitless, exhaustive amount of money. And when you give money and you just fuel it, drugs are there, fast cars are there, traveling all over the world, different city every night. I mean, yeah, that's why I feel like you know, the musicians that are on that list, that lifestyle. I mean, a lot of us fantasize and say, man, it would be so cool to be out on the road and doing this thing, different city every night, playing in front of thousands and thousands of adoring fans. I don't know how, it would be interesting to take sort of like a, a sabbatical and go and try and do something like that because I have a feeling that after a while it would just be completely and totally something not for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's exhausting. We When we used to travel so much for work before, you know, the pandemic came in, it was one of those situations where even then you're exhausted and I was only out there for three days and I wasn't even given like you were given. So, you know, it's interesting to see that and how it would, you know, extrapolate out of being in the musical industry because they are, they live hard, man. So in 2017, so let me me back this up. In 2007, Nikki Six from Motley Crue wrote the heroin diaries. Yes. And that's uh, that's his entire year of his, his his journey in being completely addicted to heroin and in living in 1986, right? It goes from 86 to 87, yeah. a whole year. In, in 2017, he audio recorded it. 
Oh, shit. And I didn't know. So I got a copy of it. Yeah. And I listened to it. And it's fascinating. Like, if you want to see, there's nothing glamorous about it. 100%. Like, and he goes through when he OD'd. He, wow. he OD'd on heroin. They got him in an ambulance. Two shots of adrenaline in his heart to get him going. Yeah, he literally was dead for two yeah. minutes. Insane. Yeah. yeah, I remember watching uh, Behind the Music of Motley Crue, and they were talking about all the stuff that that band went through, and, and Nikki Six especially, and you were the one that turned me on to reading that, and I read that that book, that Heroin Diaries, insane. I would definitely recommend it. I didn't know he audio recorded it. It would be cool to go back and hear it from his voice, because well, he, he just made, did it in, seven, in 17. Okay, he made some significant changes, yeah. clearly, from where he was then, but it is a... A fascinating look behind the scenes. It's not all this glitz and glam in front of all these millions of people. There was a lot of nasty shit going on behind the scenes that was absolutely bonkers. There was. And there were there were a few people that kept trying to get him to get clean. And it's really interesting because he went to Japan and, um, I don't know, a lot of circumstances went on. But most everybody went home. He stayed an extra day. And he was with a tour guide. And they met this guy on the street. He guys, guys, the guy looked like a bum or something. But he gave him this reading. But it was in Japanese, so this woman had to translate. And he, the guy said, if he doesn't change his ways, he'll be dead within a year. And and the woman told him that she's sure. like, this is not good news. He didn't even want to give give him the reading, you know. But he kept getting the message. But, but he was falling off, falling off, falling off. And he got, I mean, I think it's great. He, you know, he got clean in his been like 15 years or something. Yeah, that'll wake you up. I mean, those messages are all around you. One thing we've learned from, you know, studying from you and learning from you is that there's always messages being sent your way. You just got to be able to listen. You know, opportunities in business or opportunities in life are yeah. always presenting themselves. So if you take the time to listen, I mean, a lot of people when they're younger are like, piss on that. I know, the, I know what's best for me. The reality is listen closely, no matter what age you are, because the signs are there for you to make a different choice. And again, you get, you know, the power of choice. It's your greatest power. You yeah. say it over and over again. Yeah. He talks about in the book that he started drinking at six, six years old. Jesus. What becomes, I mean, it's horrific what he did over that year, but what's really enlightening is having him talk about the pain of his childhood in that, in that story. And, um, they have different characters in the, in the audio recording. It's fantastic. Um, he says several times that he couldn't make the pain go away. So heroin did it. Like heroin makes all the pain go sure. away, right? So he was he said it felt like a warm blanket around yeah. him. Why would you want to stop? I mean, you know you're gonna die if you don't at some point, right? Right. But it feels better than anything. And actually, he talked about something when they go to rehab. They tell them in rehab that what's what's really interesting about heroin addiction is that you're never going to feel that good again. So you have to live sober knowing that sober does not feel as good as heroin. Wow. And I've heard that from, from several people sure. that, that have been addicts. Well, it makes it sense why it's so hard to kick. You know, you hear these people that go through these detoxifications for something like that, and it's... They're horrible. It's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the, um, the Basketball Diaries... I saw that movie when I was in college uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, I think it was James Carroll. Is that who wrote that book? Uh, insane about the detox, you know, the detox coming off of, you know, that type of a drug. But I'd never heard it said that way. Like your life is never going to feel as good as it did with yeah. that drug. And you have to live sober knowing that. Yeah. Wow, that's insane. Well, looking at some of those people that we mentioned from the list a little bit ago, their legacy endures even to this day. Like I mentioned those names and you remember who they are and, and what they were in the celebrity world. Some would say 
that maybe they've even become more famous because of it. You know, people like James Dean, for example, he wasn't in, he was in maybe nine movies, three of which were like a big deal. Um, so what does that tell you? So that's what I was wondering. Do you think a person's legacy can become even more mythical when they check out early? As long as they, as long as they were big when it happened. So right? it just, it's a snapshot in time. Boom. And then yes, it's frozen. But what makes it stick is the death itself. The death it, is, it is facing our own mortality with something that we relate to very well. So you have to, th- you have to think about this. As, when you really like something, a celebrity, a movie star, a rock star, whatever, you love their music, right? You're like passionate about your music. That's an intimate connection, right? right? That's a relationship. Sure. Boom, they die. It's like having a brother or a sister or a wife or a husband or a mom or a dad gone. I mean, and it's painful. Right, yeah. so you people, millions of people that love these people, always remember that. And they every year on the anniversary of the death, they're out there lighting candles, they're yep. out there playing their music, they're doing all these sorts of things. So it's sort of like a, a frozen in amber, like Jurassic Park with the you know the mosquitoes where they're able to suck the DNA out of it. It's just there forever and ever. Get this: in 2014, um, I went back to uh, France, France. I was in Paris, and I wanted to go see. Morrison's grave. Mm, sure. Um, and so I had a tour guide uh, take me and my wife there. There must have been 30 people sitting all around the grave, candles. like Really? And it was in the middle of the week. And she said, it's like this seven days a week. So it wasn't even commemorating the day. It was just, we're, we come here to seven see the Seven days a week. People come from all over the world. It's like a, it's like a, what is it? Like a, it's like a tourist spot. It, it's like a, like. It's like an it's like an epic journey in people's lives to get to Morrison's grave. To get grave. there, yeah, wow, yeah. They're so passionate about his music and his poetry, and it's it's like it's like a rite of passage to be able to go to his grave. What would be interesting to see, because that you know he he died in what seventy seventy one I think, right? So no, no, seventy two, seventy two. Okay, so he he died. So that generation that you know worshipped that music has, they're getting much older now, but they, it would be interesting to see how they've passed that along to their children and if their children resonate with that music or if they've broken off and will that change? Will there always be people sitting around that grave as they age out? I don't know. I mean, I think it'll pass, you know. Um, Probably, you know, the 60s and the 70s was a very, very productive time for music. Something really broke open. Sure. during that time. Um, and you can hear all kinds of people talk about it, even people that didn't like the movements or the music or, or whatever. It was a very interesting, very, very creative time, uh, in, you know, for us in, in Europe especially. There were so many great things that were happening with music. And it basically affected two generations, right? So you had a portion of the people that were born in the 40s, around, the, around World War II, the end of World War II, that were now in their 20s going into like 68, 69, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And then you had people like me that were born in the mid-60s. And as we pushed through the 70s, that's the music that was on the radio, right? Right. So even though it, you wouldn't really consider it my generation, it actually, because of where we were born, it affected that. So we then moved into the 80s, but we were in our younger years, it was all the stuff in the 70s and the 60s on the radio. Yeah. So that's what we were in love with. Yeah, so interesting. I guess I never really thought about that. I'm trying to think about what was on the radio when I was If you up. were born a little bit later, when the radio was changing, by okay. the time you were interested, you were probably now a, you know, a, a young teenager in the 80s, right? 
So you were more interested in the stuff that they were playing at that time. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it just switches like that all the time, you know? Yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, Jim Morrison died July 3rd, 1971. So July 3rd, yeah. Very, very interesting. I had no idea. I never, I didn't know that you had gone to his grave when Mm. you were in Paris. I didn't even know he was buried in Paris. I had no idea. Fascinating stuff. I love that. That's Um, where he died. Yeah. So the person's legacy definitely can become more mythical in nature. Like I think Kurt Cobain is everlasting because like what you said, it was a sudden impact for all of us. He was gone. And then next thing you know, every year we're, you know, celebrating. I hate using Here's that another word. One. John Bonham from Led Zeppelin, 32. Yeah, sure. 1980. Yeah. 79 or 80. Crazy. I know that Tupac, when he passed away, they've been releasing albums of his for the last 15 years, even posthumously, just taking tracks that he had never recorded and putting it out there. They even had a concert with him where he was a hologram, really? a holographic image. So interesting that even though they're gone, their memory will never be gone because their yeah, fans keep it alive. Well, there's also those who lived longer beyond their 30s whose life came to a tragic end. And people who we've talked about on this show before, two in particular, Anthony Bourdain and Kobe Bryant, just to name a few. What is it about those moments that seem to hit us so hard? You talked about the passion that we as fans have for those individuals. It does seem as if we lost a family member. You know, when you texted me, I had no idea what was going on with Kobe Bryant. I know you told me you thought it was bullshit. (laughs) You texted me and you said, RIP Kobe. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I started looking and then I went online and boom, right away, television, it was telling me all that had happened. I had no idea. I thought it was a joke because people have thrown this thing out to the internet. I don't know how many times Bon Jovi has died or they they just throw the shit out there. But when you texted me that, I mean, you're you're really in the know when it comes to news and, and what's going on, finger on the pulse type stuff. And when I heard that, I was like, holy shit. And I hadn't really paid much attention to Kobe. I mean, I knew who he was. My brother's a huge Laker fan. I grew up a Laker fan. I knew how good he was and I always rooted for him, but I wasn't following him after basketball and all the things that he'd been doing. So when that one happened, that was just like a heavy cloud had descended on that whole day. And it was freaking, I think it was like Super Bowl Sunday or something. No, Was it a week before? It was something. You know what it was? I think it may have been the Grammys. There was something that went on that was going on that day where there was a bunch of excitement. It was the Grammys. It was the The Grammys. Grammys. And I was like, holy shit, this is absolutely crazy. And I don't know, I was crushed by those, even though I didn't really know who those people are. So what is it that hits us so damn hard? So again, it's the intimate connection with the, the celebrity. Bourdain was really loved by a lot of people. Oh my God. It was, he had a really, it was a really, he was a really weird celebrity, right? Because he did this cooking travel show and, but he talked, he really spoke to regular people. And regular people loved his show. They, sure. he, he brought intelligence with it. He was a great, great writer. You know, he was a cool-looking guy. Um, and he tried to bring something different. And he was also very, very disturbed. Oh, my God, You know, yes. very disturbed. Yeah, he, he never could. I recently heard an interview where they were talking with his assistant, um, and Lori Williver, and she was mentioning that he never bought into the fact that people loved him. Right. He just thought it was a bunch of bullshit. I can't believe I'm doing a... Te- he never really embraced 
who he was and how adored he was. He never saw it at all nope. because I, I have a feeling that he may have perceived that he was a sellout. Cause I know when he went on like a cooking show or a competition based show, everybody was saying, Oh, he sold out. He was supposed to be this gritty guy, kitchen confidential, fuck the establishment guy. And here he was doing this when all he was doing was just mentoring. It was his version of mentoring, but it was really fascinating to hear that through all of that adoration, he never once accepted it. He just thought it was a bunch of bullshit. He did. That's so fascinating. He did. Yeah. Well, I mean, this has been a good conversation. We're going to do more of these as we go through. I think it's really interesting to kind of get out of what it is that you do typically, you know, with your Mindset Mondays and all these other drops we do on the podcast and on YouTube. It's interesting to hear your take on where you were, what kind of, you know, life you were going through at the time and your interesting take on things. I love it. Like I never really thought about, you know, the, the numerology behind 27 and yeah. how that's a pivotal point in your life where you're making a lifestyle change. Some choose to move forward. Others don't, but, um, I don't know. It's just all just fascinating. Wild, right? And it is wild. And I think it's really cool that we can have this conversation. So, you know, uh, thanks for, thanks for doing this. Today. It's cool. We'll do it again. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.